Hey everyone, Beacon. I, I actually met a couple of people that I'd never met before who were, were pretty new, uh, maybe even first time uh, to Beacon today. So, so that was really cool. If, uh, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Winston and thanks so much for being here. It's really awesome. I think I was, I was, we were saying this in the breakout room that we had. Um, it's really tough to join a new group under like any circumstances, even if you can be there physically. And I feel like having to join a new group, a new fellowship, even a new church, um, that's, that's tough when it's virtual. So props to you for being here. We were super happy. Like we can't express with our whole bodies, how much we, we love having you here, but, but just trust from our, our faces on a screen that we, we are really glad that you're visiting with us and we hope you'll, um, uh, yeah, we, we hope you'll, you'll give us a chance to get to know you and, and connect with you and hear your story. And, um, and even if, uh, yeah, even, even if you, you go on to another church or, or make another fellowship your, your home, um, we're, we're really thankful that you're, you're here with us and spending the evening. Okay, can I pray for us real quick, and then we're going to get started. God, thank you so much for everyone here. Uh, yeah, we're thankful for another Friday night and the chance to crack open your word and, uh, and hear from it. Father, I pray that you would humble us and make us receptive to, um, to teaching that might be uh, counterintuitive, countercultural, um, and even counter to what we want. Uh, so I pray that you would use this time to, uh, to humble us, to expose us, um, to restore us, and to make us more like Jesus in his gentleness especially, and um, to help us to worship you with our lives more. Uh, yeah, thank you again for all of the, the folks who are here, especially, Father, the, the people who are, who are freshmen or, or checking out um, Beacon for the first time. We're so thankful for them, especially, uh, and, and we're looking forward to getting to know them better and, and sharing tonight with them. So thank you again for, for everyone here and this chance that we get tonight in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, so if you're new here, uh, I'll probably want to catch you up. We've been going through the fruits of the spirit and uh, in Galatians 5, and tonight we're on our second to last fruit of the spirit. Um, I think Francis, yeah, he did. He put the, uh, the link to the outline in the chat. So uh, make sure you pull that down from Dropbox because we're going to need it tonight. Okay. All right. So if you've been with us, uh, you know that we've been talking about uh, the fruits for the past couple of months. And I feel like so far, most of the fruits on this list um, have been ones that for the most part um, are pretty non-controversial, right? Uh, ones that even non-Christians would agree people should have. Like most people I think would say, yeah, you should be a, you know, a loving, a kind, a good, a faithful person. But tonight we're studying gentleness. And I feel like gentleness is kind of a weird one. Um, especially in today, uh, today's culture. Like, think about the, the environment that we live in right now, right? Like, I don't know about you, but gentle is not a word that I would use to describe the culture that you and I are living in right now. Um, think about some of our greatest heroes, right? Uh, our, some of our greatest heroes are admired because they're, they're not gentle, because they're tough, they're dominant, they're ruthless, they're willing to beat anyone at all costs, um, Anyone watch The Last Dance? All right, so if you watch The Last Dance, uh, you know that Michael Jordan was like this, right? Uh, this past Sunday was Kobe Bryant's birthday. Monday was Mamba Day. Uh, so uh, if you know anything about Kobe Bryant, you know that he was like that too, ruthless competitor. Uh, I mean, we're talking about guys who would punch teammates at practice, 
uh, who would call their teammates soft like Charmin, as in like the toilet paper. Um, so these aren't exactly gentle heroes of ours, right? Uh, or if you spend 10 minutes on social media, not even 10 minutes, you'll realize that social media is really half political war zone and half TikTok dances. That's it. That's all of social media, right? Um, and think about the name calling that you see online. All around America, really, people um, and, and the name calling. Like, if <laughs> I feel bad for people who are named Karen, right? Everyone who's named Karen is like, dude, please pick a different name. Um, it's presidential election year, right, 2020, and man, like more than ever, the partisanship is on display, right? You have people calling each other extremists, calling them snowflakes, calling them libtards, fascists, commies, and the list goes on and on. And then you think about the list of celebrities and politicians and executives, and even not even the high-profile people, right? Think about the everyday average people who have been canceled, who have been angrily called out and, and fiercely canceled for every kind of reason. And in this day and age, we also love a good clapback, right? Everyone loves a good clapback, a smart, witty, biting rebuttal, uh, usually delivered in the form of, of a tweet or an Instagram story. And guys, it's not just that gentleness is hard to come by right now. Um, I actually feel like many seem to believe that it should be hard to come by. That gentleness isn't that good of a thing. If you're not angry, people say, you're not paying attention. If you're a doormat, you're going to let the bad guys win. So you have to be outraged. You have a moral obligation to make your voice heard as loudly as possible. You have to fight fire with fire if you want to get things done. So of all the fruits of the spirit that we've studied so far, I feel like this one, gentleness, is probably the most countercultural, and therefore it's probably the one that we um, have the most trouble with, even as Christians, the most counterintuitive. Right? Like I think sometimes as Christians, we think, you know, if society is becoming too liberal, we have to fight tooth and nail. You know, if, if I were a, a great apologist like an Al Mohler or a Ravi Zacharias, um, I could just destroy non-Christians' arguments, right? Make them feel all bad for being a non-Christian. They're going to realize it's either believe in Jesus or be stupid. Those are the only two choices, right? That's the, that's the kind of apologist I want to be. And even for me personally, just to, to share with you guys, preparing this sermon over the past couple of weeks, I, I feel like was really good for me because to be honest, gentleness is not something that I often think about. And to be super honest, it's not something I always want to live out either, Right? Like, if I'm honest, of all the ways that I want people to remember me, you know, like the word, the one word on my gravestone, I do not want it to be soft. You know, like, that's just not what I was hoping my reputation would be, you know. So maybe now, more than ever, we need to hear what God has to say about this particular fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. And we're going to be turning to a lot of different passages. So like I said earlier, I would definitely download that outline. So if you didn't the first time, I'm going to do it again. Uh, go to that Dropbox link and, and make sure you use this and follow along. You'll also definitely need your Bible. Um, as you guys know, uh, I, I like having you guys read. So uh, you'll need your Bibles with me, uh, with you. Um, and, and if you need time to go ahead and get those things, uh, a pen to take notes with or, or the notes or, or your Bible, go ahead and do that now. Okay. All right. Looks like we're good, actually. So let's go ahead and get started. So we're going to follow along in the outline. And if you're looking at the outline, the first section is gentleness commanded. Gentleness 
commanded. Okay, now we're going to start with the passage that we've been studying for the past couple of months in Galatians 5. So let's all turn to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read the, the list of the fruits of the Spirit again. Uh, that's verses 22 and 23. So I'm going to have a couple of you guys start off. Uh, we're going to read those verses, okay? Um, all right, I just met a few people today, and they're, they're going to regret meeting me because I'm going to call on them first. So why don't I start with Allie and Matt, okay? Uh, you guys are together. So Galatians 5, Allie, you want to do verse 22 at verse 23? Sure. <laughs> um, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, um, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Um, do you continue? <laughs> you said I did. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. all right. That's all right. Yeah, you took one for the team. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the list of the fruit of the spirit that we've been going through. Now, the Greek word, and I have this in your notes, that's translated as gentleness in this list is proud taste. Okay. Um, I'm not saying it because I, I think you need to remember the Greek. It's just that I'm going to be referring to this word a lot as we go on. Because uh, this word actually appears 11 times in total in the New Testament, including here. Um, and we're going to take a look at a few other instances. So let's turn over to the book of Colossians. Like I said, we're going to be flipping a lot of pages, okay? So turn to Colossians chapter 3. Just three books over from Galatians. I'm making it really easy for you guys to start. Okay? Uh, we're going to look at verse 12. So Colossians 3, 12. All right, Matt, I'm not going to let you off the hook. So you want to read Colossians 3, 12 for us? Yeah, sorry, let me get to Colossians 3. 12, to, oh yeah. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Awesome, thank you, thank you. Okay, so um, in the ESV and uh, some other translations, uh, like you just heard, the word practice here is translated as meekness. Okay, but it's a synonym of gentleness. All right. Um, now I want you to notice something. All right. Look at the look at verse twelve with me again. Look at the the command. It's to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, slash gentleness, and patience. Right. So that's the command. But also notice that there's a motivator behind it. There's something preceding this list of attributes that you're supposed to have. All right. Paul is saying put these things on because why? You guys see it? It's because you're God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Right? So what he's saying is, in other words, because God chose you, because he made you holy, meaning he set you apart for himself, and because you're his beloved, as in he has a special love for you as his people, that's why you live this way, including being meek or gentle. Okay, in short, God's command for us to be gentle is rooted in our identity as Christians. It's rooted in our identity as Christians. Christians are God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved. So that means that gentleness is an essential inherent characteristic for anyone who is a Christian. It's not optional. It's not optional. And that also means that it doesn't depend on things that we sometimes think that gentleness depends on, Right. Like, I feel like sometimes we think, oh, it's just a personality thing. There's but gentle people, there's not gentle people. But gentleness 
if you're a Christian is not dependent on personality. It's not like if you're quieter and shyer by nature, then you don't have to worry about this because you're good, right? And it's not like if you're louder and more assertive by nature, then you have like a built-in excuse. You get a pass on this one, all right? It's also not about physical attributes, right? If you're tall and strong and your resting face is mean looking and you have a deep gruff voice. I feel like I'm describing zero people in Deacon right now, but that's okay. There's still hope for you, right? There's still hope for you. Um, on the other hand, if you're, if you're short or skinny or have a baby face or have a soft, soothing voice, that sounds a little more like us, right? Um, that this message on gentleness still applies to you too. Okay. You still need it too. Uh, it's not an ethnicity thing, right? Like Asian Americans don't have problems being gentle or something, right? It's not dependent on age. Like, you know, your, your frail old grandma and grandpa automatically get the, get the gentleness thing down just because of their age, right? It's not dependent on gender. Um, it's not dependent on how many siblings you had or how rowdy you guys were in the house growing up. Like it's not dependent on all those things. So if there are things about you, whether it's the tenor of your voice or your height or your cultural background or whatever that make you seem and feel nice and non-threatening, great. Doesn't necessarily mean you're gentle, not according to scripture's definition. Okay. And if there are things about you that make you seem intimidating or rough around the edges or whatever, that for you doesn't mean that all hope is lost, but it also doesn't mean you get a pass because of the way you're built. All right. Okay, our Lord's command for us to be gentle is rooted in our Christianity. It's simply in the fact that we're Christians. And so that's why we have to seriously and humbly consider what he means when he commands us to be gentle. So that's going to lead us to the next question, right? So what does God mean when he says gentleness? What does this word mean? We should define it. And we will, um, but I just want to give you a heads up of how we're going to do this. I want to kind of take the scenic route, all right? Uh, we're, we're going to take our time getting to a definition. We're going to cover a number of passages and yet we're going to eventually define the term, but, but I hope that more than just the definition, what you get out of this is a feeling, a sense, an impression of what the word gentleness means, right? Not just like a cold, hard, hard definition on a piece of paper, um, but, but really experiencing uh, from scripture, what it means. And so as we go through these next passages, I, I want you to try to really think about the picture that they paint, the vision that they cast of a gentle person. All right. Is with me? Okay. Let's go on to our next section then. Gentleness illustrated. If you're following along in your outlines, which I hope you are, it's gentleness illustrated. So we've looked at a few instances of that Greek word. You remember it? Thautes? Right. And that shows up in Galatians five. Now, another Greek word that's translated to gentle in English is epios. Don't worry about it. You don't have to write it down, but it does show up in first Thessalonians chapter two. So go with me there. First Thessalonians chapter two. All right. Now, as you're turning there, let me just explain the context. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is recounting the manner in which he and a couple of buddies, Silas and Timothy, came to the church in the city called Thessalonica. In verse 2, he says, they boldly declared the, the gospel to the church. Okay? And he says that the goal was to, to please God, not get glory from people. That's verses 4 through 6. And then we get to verses 7 and 8. 7 and 8, okay? Um, so we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 7 and 8. I'm going to do the same thing. 
Mercy, you probably saw this coming. Could you read verse seven for us? And then, Will, I'm going to have you read verse eight. Okay. Instead, instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Oh, hey, Will, your, your sound's not coming through right now, but I see your mouth moving. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Great. Thank you. So, so that word, that, that, uh, that phrase, that mercy read, like, like young children, that's in some translations you might see it. Uh, it's in the Izzy and others as gentle. Okay, that's that word epios that I mentioned. All right. But, but notice what he compares it to. Okay, you, you're going to get a sense of the connotation of the word. Um, he's saying you're gentle when you feel affection for someone, right? When you want to share yourself with them, when they've become dear to you. And notice, guys, notice the metaphor that he uses in verse 7. Because it kind of jumps out. He says it's like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I feel like that's one of the weirder metaphors. He's comparing it to breastfeeding. Like that's what gentleness looks like. Okay, so to give us a picture of gentleness, God tells us to think of a mother breastfeeding an infant. It's that level of tender care. It's that level of tender care. Okay, all right, let's go ahead and look at a few other illustrations. We're going to turn to the Old Testament now. And one of the Hebrew words that's translated as gentle in several places in the Old Testament is the word rock. Rock, R-A-K, okay, in English. So turn with me to, to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to go to chapter 15. All right. And, and for these ones, I'm just going to go ahead and read the verses uh, as we go along. So I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. Here's one of those instances of that word that I just mentioned, rock. Okay. All right. Proverbs 15, 1 says, a soft, that's rock, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay. And actually, some of your translations might actually have the word gentle. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So you can almost imagine this scenario, right? Imagine a, a big argument. Like imagine someone with, with crazy road rage. Okay, so just picture this. Um, this, this, this guy, uh, this kind of guy who, who stops in the middle of the road, gets out of the car, and storms over to the other driver and starts screaming and cussing. I don't know if this has ever happened to you you guys, it's happened to me once and, and it's, it's a crazy experience. So just imagine that you're in that situation. Okay. Um, you're probably envisioning this guy, uh, dressed in a t-shirt with the sleeves cut off, right? Oakley sunglasses, big beard. But remember, true gentleness has nothing to do with physical demeanor. Okay. So if it helps for this illustration, just imagine Francis with crazy road rage. Okay. And he's stomping over to this other driver, screaming, cussing. And then, and then imagine, okay, imagine this other driver says real, real calmly, real quietly, sir, I am so sorry. I know you're upset. I understand you're frustrated. I don't want to cause you any more trouble. I, I would love to just move on from this and, and not um, ruin each other's day. I am so sorry. It's deflated, right? Like, arguments over you you can't like how are you going to keep screaming and cussing at someone who who responds that way who says that to you okay so so that's the soft answer 
That's the soft answer that turns away wrath. So to give us a picture of gentleness, God tells us to think of an answer that deflates a conflict like that. One that fights fire with kindness. One that fights fire with kindness. Now, to illustrate the concept of gentleness even more, I want you to turn to another instance of the word rock, the Hebrew word that we've been talking about, that I think you actually might find a little bit interesting. So turn to to Genesis chapter 18 with me. We're going to go to Genesis 18. And as you're turning there, let me give the context. In this chapter, Abraham, famous guy in the Old Testament, okay, this guy named Abraham is hosting a guest. And and he's being hospitable and and all that. And I want you to look at verse 7. Okay, it says that for this guest, here's what Abraham did. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender, tender right there, that's the word rock, and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Okay, so the calf, the baby cow is tender, rock, gentle, and good. So to give us a picture of gentleness, God tells us to think of a baby cow. To think of a baby cow because it, can appear that fragile. Gentleness can appear that fragile. And then if you flip over a few chapters to Genesis 29, so let's go to chapter 29, the word rock is used yet again. Okay, and here's going to be in verse 17, Genesis 29, 17, to describe this woman named Leah, also a famous person in the Old Testament. Okay, now here's Genesis 29, 17. Listen, and Leah's eyes were weak. That's rock. But Rachel was beautiful of form and face. You catch that? The word that's used to describe Leah's nearsightedness is rock. Okay, so this one hits home for me, right? Like, I've got pretty bad vision. I've got contacts in right now. It's, it's worse. It, it, it's terrible on, on both sides. It's like negative five, negative six. So for all my nearsighted friends out there, right, we know, like, our eyes are a weak spot, right? Like, if optometrists didn't exist, we would be useless. Like in the morning, if I misplace my contacts or my glasses, dude, it's, it's really messed up because I need my contacts or glasses to find my contacts or glasses, right? So it's like the most terrible catch 22 of all time, right? So, so to give us this picture of gentleness, here's what God tells us to think of. Think of nearsightedness. Think of someone who's nearsighted. Think of their eyes. That's gentleness because gentleness can appear that weak and feeble. Gentleness can appear that weak and feeble. Okay, so put it all together, guys. And this is how Christians are called to treat people by default. The normal day-to-day way we're to treat others. So let me ask you this question. Does this describe you? Does this describe how you typically treat people? Like, would someone look at you and how you care about people and be reminded of a mother breastfeeding an infant, caring for her children? Would someone look at you and how you answer people when they're upset, how you deal with arguments and disagreements? And would they say that you give soft answers that turn away wrath? Would someone look at you and say, man, that guy is, or that girl is so gentle that people um, could mistake it as they're, they're fragile or they're weak or they're feeble. Would people look at you and say that? All right. So, so 
now, if, if you're like me, you might be asking yourself at this point, okay, hold on. So Winston, what you're really saying is like, it's like being a doormat, right? Like you got to let people walk all over you. You can't stand up for anything, can't stand up for yourself ever, but not exactly. All right. We're going to look at a, a few more instances of that Greek word. You remember it that we, we looked at initially, proutis? Okay. And, and um, turn back to the New Testament. So let's first go to 1 Corinthians 4. In your, in your outline, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 4. And here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have someone read verse 21. But as you're flipping there, let me give you the context. Paul is rebuking the Corinthians. Okay? If you know anything about the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, they were messed up. They did a lot of crazy stuff. So here's, here's Paul pointing out the sin in their lives. He's trying to get them to shape up. Okay? And then we get to verse 21. All right? And I'm going to have Seth, my guy. Seth, can I have you read 1 Corinthians 4, verse 21? Yeah. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Fantastic. Thank you. Okay. That last word, spirit of gentleness, right? That's practice again. So he's saying, shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of practice of gentleness? Okay. So notice he's giving them a choice, right? He's like, it's up to you. Okay. I can come to you with a rod. Literally, that's a thick wooden stick. It symbolizes discipline and correction, right? Or I can come to you in love with a spirit of gentleness. Okay. You can almost imagine like your mom or dad saying this, right? Like, I feel like even though Paul never had kids of his own, he definitely did the whole parenting thing, you know? Um, like he's threatening to give a bunch of, you know, full grown adults a, a metaphorical spanking. So, um, so that's, that's the choice that he's giving to them. All right. Um, so no, Paul wasn't a doormat. He wasn't a pushover. Okay. He knew that there was a time and place for stern discipline, for rebuke, for correction. But here's the catch, guys. The, the default treatment would be love in a spirit of gentleness. Do you see that? The default treatment would be gentle. Okay, let's look at another example. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay. Now here in this chapter, Peter is writing to his readers about suffering for Jesus' sake. Okay. And when we get to verse 15, uh, here's what he says to do. Okay. So I'm going to have um, Lydia, can you read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 for us? Thanks. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Fantastic. Thank you. So uh, in Lydia's translation, right, meekness and fear, in some of yours, it's gentleness and respect, right? That, that, that gentleness or meekness, that's practice again. So, so Peter's te definitely telling us to, to stand up for something, right? He's, he's saying respond, defend, maybe even debate. Okay, in fact, uh, in this verse, make a defense, that phrase or give an answer um, is the word apologia, uh, okay, from which we get the, the word apologetics, um, defending the faith. So he's definitely saying, you know, answer, reason, argue, but you've got to do it with gentleness or meekness. You've got to do it with gentleness or meekness. Okay. And I think there's no better way to look at how this plays out than to look at Jesus himself. Okay, so that's going to lead us to our next section. If you're following along the outline, gentleness personified, gentleness 
personified. Everyone turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Now, for context, in this chapter, the Pharisees are really angry. If you know anything about the Pharisees, right, they're opponents of Jesus for his whole ministry, and they're angry with him, and they're conspiring against him, okay? And so because of that, he, Jesus, withdraws from the public's eye. He wants to kind of get out of the, the mess. So, um, so he withdraws, but people are still following him wherever he goes, right? Real popular guy. Um, people, people want to be with him. He continues healing them. He continues talking to them. But he, whenever he would heal someone, he would tell them over and over and over, keep this quiet. Don't make a big deal out of it. Keep it on the down low, okay? I healed you. Just, just stay silent about it. And in verse 17, Matthew points out that this, this whole thing, Jesus telling people to keep his miracles quiet, was a fulfillment of a prophecy, all right? And that's going to be verses 17 to 21, 17 to 21. It's a lot, so I'm just going to read it, okay? Everyone with me? Matthew 12, 17 to 21. Matthew writes, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Here's the prophecy. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Okay. Now, you don't have to turn there, but the, the beautiful prophecy that Matthew's quoting here is Isaiah 42. If you're curious, you can check it out. Okay. Um, and that, that prophecy is where God the Father describes the beloved servant that he's going to send into the world. And the way that Jesus, Jesus Christ, lived was a perfect fulfillment of what Isaiah predicted. Look at it with me again. To take a look at, at verse 19. Okay? Verse 19, Jesus did not quarrel, meaning he didn't fight about meaningless stuff, right? Or argue for the sake of arguing. And then again in verse 19, nor did anyone hear his, his voice in the streets. In other words, Jesus wasn't about drawing attention to himself, Right? He wasn't out there trying to get everyone to look at him. And that's actually demonstrated in this passage where he tells people that he heals to keep quiet about it. Right? And then check out verse 20. A bruised reed he did not break, and a smoldering wick he did not quench. Guys, Jesus recognized when people were weak and suffering and down on their luck out of their, or at their, at their breaking point. And he had compassion on those people. Think about it, even in the debates with his enemies, these Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, right? Like he crushed them in arguments over and over again, but he, he, he would never go too far. He wouldn't take everything away from them and leave them with nothing left, right? Even though he could. And if you fast forward to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem in chapter 21, so let's all turn there actually. Uh, Matthew is going to point out another prophecy. All right, this is Matthew chapter 21. And this is a famous story, so, so many of you have probably heard it or at least seen pictures of it, right? Um, Jesus gets on this donkey, and he rides into the city of Jerusalem. And that's how he chooses to arrive. And then Matthew writes in verses 4 to 5, and these I will have a couple of you guys read. So um, why don't I have Joy, could you read chapter 21, verse 4? And then Sammy, could you read chapter 21, verse 5?
This took place when Phil was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the father of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Perfect. Thank you both. Thank you, Jordan. Sammy. So, so Matthew, again, you don't have to turn there, um, but if you're curious, he's referring to a prophecy from Zechariah 9, and he's also borrowing language from Isaiah. Okay. And, and we get this, this picture of a king who could enter into Jerusalem with um, armies of angels behind him, thunder and lightning, right? All the glory that deserves, that, that, that is deserving. Um, but what he chooses to do is enter Jerusalem as a gentle and humble and lowly person on the back of a donkey. Okay. So this is the picture of Jesus and, and he really is gentleness personified. And so I think an application that we can take from this right away, right away is guys, if you want to learn gentleness, if you really want to experience it and grow in it, then yeah, a sermon helps. But what you need to do is you need to spend time with Jesus. If you want to really experience true gentleness, spend time with Jesus. Read specifically the, the four gospel accounts, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of his life. And look carefully, study how he moves around, how he carries himself, how he treats people. And then in your own life, begin talk with him, pray, and think about how gently he's treated you. Like, think about how much he's spared you of the punishment that you deserve, how he's provided everything that you've ever needed, listened to you whenever you talk to him. Like, who does that 24-7 available to listen to you no matter what you want to talk about? How he's cared for you every day of his life, uh, every day of your life. Experience Jesus' gentleness as you spend time with him. All right, now going back to Jesus personifying gentleness for a moment, I just want to address this because some of you might be thinking like, hold on, Winston, back up. I feel like I can remember Jesus having some pretty not gentle moments, right? Like didn't Jesus call Pharisees whitewashed tombs, call them snakes, right? And later, actually in Matthew 21, the passage we're looking at, doesn't he clear the temple, right? Go in there and, and get rid of all the merchants and traders, flip tables over and all that. And sure, yeah, absolutely, Jesus did. Like we've said before, gentleness doesn't mean you never get in conflict. You never disagree. You never speak up. You never make a scene. That's not what it means at all. But what we see in Jesus' life is his typical default mode of operation. Can you see the difference? Right? The Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament and the Jesus biographied in the New Testament is largely characterized overall as gentle and humble and meek and lowly. That was his day-to-day. That was his default. Like I think about Jesus meeting uh, the guy named Saul in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. Okay? So if you don't know the story, Saul was this religious leader, this Pharisee, who was going around and, and rounding up and persecuting and in some cases even killing Christians people who were part of the early church. And Jesus one day meets him. That's in Acts 9. And, and you would expect, or I would expect, you know, Jesus to just ruin this guy, you know? Like, dude, do you not realize who you're messing with? Do you have any idea what I could do to you? Like, that's what I would say. But not only does Jesus not do that, 
he comes in like he's pleading with a bully. In Acts 9, we hear the words of Jesus, and what he says is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's gentleness. I think about Luke 9. Um, There's a story about this Samaritan village that the disciples and Jesus uh, come by, and and they they try to talk to them about Jesus, and the, the village, the whole village rejects him. Okay, they just flat out say no. And then a couple of disciples turn to Jesus and they're like pissed, right? So they're like, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume these people? Like, I think it's a legit question, right? Jesus, we got to teach these people a lesson. They cannot defy the king of the universe. You're not getting the respect you deserve. Let's do something about it. And not only does Jesus refuse to do that, he even rebukes the disciples who are asking That's gentleness. I think about Luke 22, the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, If you know this story, you know that Jesus is being arrested in in the middle of the night for no good reason. It's just going to be moments until he he dies on a cross. But as he's being arrested, one of his, his disciples, Peter, pulls out a sword and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear, one of the guys who's with the group that's arresting Jesus. Okay. And, and we would think, right, like, it's honorable. Like, that's loyalty, man. Like, that is, that is a guy who has your back, who will cut a guy's ear off to keep them from arresting you. And it's good because, because Peter knew Jesus had no business being arrested. He, he'd done nothing wrong. He was an innocent guy. So fight this injustice. Go, Peter. Like, fight this tooth and nail. And not only does Jesus not compliment and not thank Peter, He says, stop. He says, no more of this. And then he heals the servant. He healed the servant's ear. So, so he can get this, right? You, you've got Jesus, the, the Lord of the universe, by whom and through whom and for whom all things are created in whom everything holds together, the rightful master of everyone's life and the rightful recipient of everyone's praise, the one true living king. And in multiple instances, you have him acting soft and weak and helpless and even like pathetic with his enemies. But every time, look at the outcome. Look at the outcome. On the road to Damascus, what happens to Saul? If you know this story, what happens to him? He's saved. He becomes a Christian, and he becomes the Apostle Paul. And then he goes and writes like more than half of the New Testament. He's the most influential person in the early church. In Samaria, there's that village that rejected Jesus but is spared of their lives. And then the disciples get to learn an important lesson about gentleness. And then in Gethsemane, what's the result? Jesus is arrested. What happens next? You guys know Jesus moves forward to the cross. And on that cross, he takes the place of sinners like you and me. Because, guys, the truth is, the Bible teaches that God created every single one of us to live a perfect life in a relationship with him, to obey him, to follow him, to trust him, to be satisfied in our relationship with him, but we sin against God. We 
break his rules. We turn against him. We want to live our own way. And because of that, we deserve, every single one of us, we deserve hell. We deserve punishment. We deserve God's wrath because he's a good judge and we've become evil. But then at just the right moment, he sends Jesus who lived the perfect life that you and I were supposed to live, but, but didn't. And instead of going straight back to heaven where he deserved to be innocent and restored to his rightful place on the throne, instead he goes to a cross and it starts with this arrest where he told Peter to put his sword away and healed that servant. And on that cross, he dies suffering all of the punishment of God, that, pun- that, that punishment that we sinners deserve in our place so that we can make a trade, so he can say, here, take the perfect righteous life that I lived and I'll take your sin for you and die in your place. And then three days later, he walks out of the grave, victorious, resurrected, king over sin and death. So look at the outcome of Gethsemane. Because of Jesus' gentleness, he gets to go to the cross. And because he goes to the cross, you and I, we get to live. See, guys, Jesus was strong, the strongest. But in his whole time on earth, as Philippians 2 put it, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't cling to his power. Instead, he humbled himself. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, and he used his strength for the good of others. From Saul to that Samaritan village to sinners like you and me. Here's how one commentator puts it. The biblical view of gentleness presupposes strength. No one who has ever walked the earth has had absolute power except our Lord Jesus, who is the very God of the universe. However, Jesus did not exercise his strength in an abrasive manner or use it to bully others. Rather, he tempered his strength with gentleness. Are you getting it, Beacon? It's not that Christians are supposed to be in actuality weak and powerless, right? So this isn't about like, don't go work out at the gym, right? Don't make too much money. Don't become famous. Don't move up the corporate ladder. Christians aren't allowed to be strong. Christians can't be powerful. You have to be puny. You have to be insignificant. You have to stay out of the way. It's not about that. Gentleness is not about reducing strength. It's not about reducing strength. Instead, what it is, and here, finally, we've arrived at our working definition, okay? Gentleness is controlling and using strength for the good of others. Gentleness is controlling and using strength for the good of others. All right. So, what does that look like for us? And that brings us to our second to last section, gentleness lived. Gentleness lived. First application, and let's get real practical. Make it about others, not yourself. Make it about others, not yourself. Let's be honest, okay? Sometimes, guys, we don't want to use our strength for others. Like, we don't want to control it to the point where we appear tender like a baby cow or weak like Leah's nearsighted eyes. Why? Because we make it about ourselves. We want people to know how strong we are, don't we? Like we want people to know that we're worthy, that we're gifted, 
that were smart, that were athletic, that were clever, that were good-looking, musical, holy, theological, intellectual, respectable, significant. We want people to respect us for that. And that leaves us in a really bad place. Because then we get so obsessed with ourselves and our own glory and showing off what we can do that we can't think about what other, people's, what, what other people need. And let alone how we can control and use our strengths to meet those needs. And, and guys, even the world says, and you, you probably know this, right? Like, even the world says, the people who are, who are showing off, the people who are, who are flexing everything they've got, those are insecure people, okay? And then the world says, if you're self-assured, if you really are, are self-assured, then you can, you can sit by yourself at lunch because you know you're cool, right? You don't have to do your hair. You can just roll out and, and, and walk around the way you show up because you know you're attractive. You can laugh at all your mistakes because you know you're smart, right? The world loves these kinds of stories, you know, like the TV show Undercover Boss, right, where the, the CEO of the whole company spends a few days with regular old employees who have no idea, no idea that this guy runs the joint, okay? And, and we love those episodes where, where they treat the CEO really badly, you know, and the CEO just, just takes it like a champ, doesn't retaliate at all, just smiles, and we're all like, man, just you wait. Wait until you find out who this guy is. I should also mention I've never watched an episode of Undercover Boss in my life. But that's how I imagine it going in my head, right? But anyway, that, that worldly self-assurance, right, that, that whole, like, I'm confident in who I am, so I don't need to get back at you, that's not the answer either. That's not the answer either. That's not what we're pushing here. Because, because that solution, that self-assurance, it's about you. Beacon Biblical Gentleness says, my confidence, my assurance is in Jesus. He's justified me. I'm accepted before God because of his work on the cross and nothing that I do. And I also know my maker. God beautifully designed me exactly the way I am. Fearfully and wonderfully have I been made. And I have nothing to prove to anyone. Ask God for that kind of confidence, confidence in Christ, not yourself. Now, biblical gentleness also says that my focus is on other people, just as Jesus' focus when he was here on earth is on me when he emptied himself, born as a human, and then went to that cross to die for me. So ask God for that kind of focus as well. Focus that's on other people not on you. Okay, second application. Second application, gently deal with other people's sin. Turn with me, let's go back to Galatians 5. Okay, let's go back to Galatians 5. And look at verses 22 and 23 again, where Paul lists the fruits of the Spirit, right? Now, I'd like you guys to try something. Try reading past this verse, past the fruits of the Spirit, right, verses 22 and 23, and see... If you can find the next instance in the book of Galatians where Paul mentions any of the fruits. Okay, so just keep going past verse 23 until you bump into any one of the fruits that he listed. All right, you see it? Doesn't take too long. A few verses later, you get to what? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Right? Galatians 6, 1. Now here's what that says. 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Right? That's that word again, proutis. I think it's pretty significant that the first fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about after listing all of them is gentleness. And I think it's also significant that this is the situation in which he chooses to talk about gentleness. So what's the situation he's describing? He's saying someone's caught in transgression. Literally, that means the crossing of a boundary, breaking God's law. Okay. So that's the situation. Now, first, in order to identify that situation, you have to know God's law, right? I feel like it's easy for us to, to, to have our own cultural biases, our, our preferences about how things should be done. And then sometimes, unfortunately, we elevate those things to the level of God's law. We start expecting people to act a certain way as we would want them to act, not necessarily as God would. Okay, whether it's the way that you think dating should be done or playing video games or studying or serving at church, whatever, right? So, so step one is to make sure guys, make sure that it's actually God's law that's being broken, not yours. Make sure that it's actually God's law that's being broken, not yours. And that requires knowing his law. And it requires, in most cases, finding out more about the situation, asking good questions, being patient. So gentleness has to start there. Loyalty to God's agenda, not our own. Loyalty to God's agenda, not our own. Now, this situation that we're talking about, right, someone who's caught in transgression could be anything, right? Um, Maybe someone tells you about something they did. They just come clean to you. Or it could be a roommate who, or or one of your friends who is doing something when they thought no one else was watching, right? But you found out. Or you have a a friend who, who keeps doing something that they don't seem to realize is wrong. They just keep doing it over and over. Maybe in this situation, someone sinned against you directly, or maybe you saw them sin against someone else. You're just an observer. Okay, so that's the situation we're talking about, right? It's any time you see sin. So next, what's the command? What's the command in Galatians 6.1? Restore the sinner, right? You see that? Restore the sinner. Help them find their way back from confessing their sin to God, to finding forgiveness in Christ, to relying on his grace to overcome the sin. Have any of you ever experienced that kind of restoration? If you have, whether it's big or small, someone sees your sin and brings you back to Christ. Guys, it is an incredible thing. Like speaking from my own personal experience, that kind of thing can change your life forever. But it presents kind of a challenge to us. It presents a challenge because if we're honest, a lot of times when we see people sin, especially if they sin against us, our goal, not to restore them. Instead, our our first instinct is we want to judge them. We want to shun them. We want to make them pay. We want to give them the cold shoulder. We want to daydream about their downfall. Right? We want to, to have them exposed for the sinner that they are. It's not easy to, to see a sinner and then want good things for them, right? Especially something like being restored and being better off because of it. So gentleness has to start there, too. Gentleness has to start there. It has to be a desire for the good of others. 
right? It's in the definition that we're using. If gentleness is controlling and using strength for the good of others, then, I mean, to, to get there, you have to want that. You have to want good things for people. So, so Beacon, let me ask you, when you think of someone, and I'm sure you can, so think of someone who's, who's sinned against you or someone you've seen sin around you. What's your hope for that person? What's your desire for them? Do you want their good? Do you want good things for them? All right, that's the command. Next, who's the audience? Who's the audience? And Paul addresses a specific group, okay, in Galatians 6.1. He says, you who are spiritual. Now, that word spiritual has to do with experience and maturity in the faith, okay? Now, Began, what you have to realize is if you know God's word well enough to identify sin when you see it, that's God's grace. Like, he gave you that knowledge. So if gentleness is controlling and using strength for the good of others, then the strength here is that you can even see someone's sin. Like you can even, that you can even point it out. And these are things that we have to steward carefully because it's so easy to use theology, knowledge of the Bible, or an ability to articulate someone's sin as a weapon, right? As a way to puff yourself up, to show that you're holy, to elevate yourself above other people. But real theology, real knowledge, real wisdom from Scripture is demonstrated in humility. It's demonstrated in gentleness. Okay, so that's the audience. And finally, we get to the method. The method. How do you restore the sinner in a spirit of what? In Galatians 6.1? Of gentleness, right? Um, this is a, something our, our counseling pastor, Tim, Tim St. John, Ruthann's older brother, uh, likes to talk about a lot, right? So you might have heard this. Um, you know how Jesus talks in Matthew 7 about you got to, if you want to take the speck out of your brother's or sister's eye, you have to take the log or the plank out of your own, right? You've probably heard that before, right? Um, the point is that Jesus is making is don't be a hypocrite, all right? Check yourself before you call someone else out. Real simple. But think about that analogy for a moment, okay? Like, imagine you actually had a friend who had a piece of dirt or dust or something in their eye, right? Or to holler at my nearsighted friends again. Imagine, you know how your contact sometimes, like, goes up into the back of your brain, and it's like stabbing your eyeball? Okay, so imagine that that's, that's happening, okay? Your friend has some, something stuck in their eye, and they're asking you to help take it out. Like, imagine how you help that person, because you know you make a sudden move, you poke too hard, or whatever. Now your friend's got a whole different kind of problem. So you have to go slowly. You have to go carefully, tenderly, cautiously. You're asking, is this okay? How do you feel? Does this make it better? You do it with gentleness. So let me ask you, is there someone you can think of right now whose sin you've encountered? How could you live out Galatians 6.1 for that person? Third application. Third application, gently deal with other people's weakness. Gently deal with other people's weakness. And weakness here just refers to anything that's not sin necessarily, but just isn't, uh, isn't perfect, right? So you're not good at something. You're immature. You're inexperienced. You're unable to do something. You're, you're not getting it very quickly. Okay, that's weakness. And here, too, we're called to be gentle, 
We're called to be gentle. We're not called to reduce our strength or pretend we don't have strength, but to control it and use it for the good of others. So that means, Beacon, right, none of that, like, fake humility, right? None of that, oh, I'm not really good at that. I don't know how much I could help you, right? I don't have much experience with it. Like, we're in the same boat, you know? Like, dude, if you're good at it, help me out. It does me no favors if I know you're good at it and I'm not, if you pretend to not be, right, just to make me feel better. That doesn't help me. Like, imagine for a moment if you, like, if you were terrible at cooking. Imagine you were terrible at cooking. I guess for some of you that might not require too much imagination, right? But, but imagine that you are, and Gordon Ramsay, right, world-famous chef, comes over to your place. And you're like, hey, dude, Gordon, I am so glad you're here because I am a catastrophe in the, in the kitchen. So I would love to get some help from you, right? And imagine Gordon and he's not this way, if you've watched anything of him, but imagine he, he wants to be nice to you, right? He wants to be humble. He wants you to know that you're not alone. So he's like, man, we're in the same boat. You know, cooking is tough. It's hard. I don't know how much help I could be, right? Like, how do you feel? Like, no way, man. Like, you're kidding me. Drop the act, Gordon, and teach me how to stop burning this cup ramen. Okay. Beacon. Talking to you guys, I see a lot of talented people. A lot of you are really talented. God has gifted you in a lot of ways. Like, just ask yourself, what has God given me? Resources, abilities, experiences. And to use that example that we're just talking about, right, it could be cooking. So, so think about how you could use that for the good of others. Okay? You could have someone over for a physically distanced meal. You could teach them how to make something besides, you know, the two things they always eat. You could share some recipes with them, right? Or maybe what you're good at is athletics, right? You could teach someone how to, how to play a sport. You could show them around the weight room when COVID's over, right? You could share dieting tips. I feel like a lot of people, myself included, because you could use your knowledge right now about home workouts and how to get exercise and how to stay fit even when you're home all day. Or maybe you're, you're really smart. Okay, so it might be academics. Um, how could you use that for the good of others? You could check someone's code. You could check someone's lab, their essay. You could tutor your peers. You could tutor people who are taking classes that you've already taken. There's even high schoolers and middle schoolers at, at the church who I'm sure could, could use your help. Right? Or it might, might just be like simply time. I don't know if you realize it, guys, but, but that's something that a lot of people don't have is time, especially when you start thinking about parents who have kids. Okay, so maybe for you, you've got more time than anyone else. So maybe it's as simple as reaching out and asking how you can, can pray for people. You might be a really good conversationalist, right? You, know, you might just know how to talk. So can you help someone? Can you help them if they're shy, open up, right? Or if they've got a job interview, practice for that interview. Or just meet people or network or whatever. Shoot, I, like, I might get in trouble for, for suggesting this, but, but maybe you teach them how to ask a person on a date without being so awkward and cringy, right? Here's one real clear application, okay, from just from this past Sunday. Um, remember that serving survey that we talked about, right, the survey where you, you fill it out with, uh, with how you could help out and contribute? If you haven't already, if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check your email or, or go to the website or download the Church Center app. Um, and go to the Lighthouse page and, and fill out that survey, okay? Because our staff is gathering info about what kind of things people at the church can offer. So if you haven't already, 
like one application from this is just go fill out that survey. Okay. Um, one more thing about dealing with people's weaknesses. Gentleness is often difficult because in our sin, instead of wanting to respond for their good, instead we get frustrated or impatient and angry. Right? When people can't keep up, when they make mistakes, when they need help, it's hard to stay loving all the time. Right? Have you been there before? I feel like we all have, right? Think about a group project. And there's that one person in the group who's dragging everyone down, right? So when that happens, how do you respond? Is your response gentle? Or how about when you're playing sports? When you're playing sports and a teammate screws up a play. Um, or when you're, you're trying to, to accomplish something with, with a group and it, it doesn't uh, turn out like you hoped, you would, hoped it would, right? You lose because, because of them. Is your response gentle? Or how about, since so many of you are at home now, think about your roommates if you're living on campus or a family member, right? A parent, a, a sibling. Um, and they don't clean up a mess. They forget to, to wash the dishes or they make a bunch of noise and that disrupts you. How do you respond? Is your response gentle? Let me hit some of you where it really hurts. When you're playing video games, okay? When you're playing League or, or whatever it is, could anyone look at your attitude toward your teammates and describe it as gentle. Okay. Fourth application. We're almost done. Be gentle in your speech. Be gentle in your speech. Now this has to be here. This has to be an application because there are several places in the New Testament where Paul uses the word gentleness to contrast with the word quarrelsome, quarrelsome. Okay, quarrelsome as in looking for a fight or making a big deal about trivial things, getting into arguments, right? Debating for the sake of debating, playing the devil's advocate for no good reason. Okay, that's quarreling. So let me ask you, is your speech gentle or is it quarrelsome? And I feel like this can be one of those areas where we, we really make it about ourselves. Okay, we want to show how smart we are, right? Correcting somebody every time they say something wrong, even though you like you know exactly what they meant, right? But you, you just, you got to correct them every time or nitpicking at details or starting debates, pointless things that just don't go anywhere, but just to, to show off what you know. It's totally one of those things that we do to, to just demonstrate um, our own goodness, right? Our own strength instead of, of using that strength for the good of others. Okay, here's another one for speech. How about when people confront or correct you? When people confront or correct you or ask you to do something differently, do you respond gently? Tim Challies, uh, in an article about gentleness, offers this one really important question that we should all ask ourselves. And I forgot to put it in the outline, but you can write it down. He, he suggests this, ask, this, asking this one question. Are people afraid to confront sin in your life because they fear your anger or your cutting words? Are people afraid? to confront sin in your life because they fear your anger or your cutting words. So be can fight to be gentle in your speech. Fifth and final application. Okay. Be gentle before the word of God. Be gentle before the word of God. Let's go to one, one more new passage. It's going to be James chapter one, James chapter one. We're going to look at verses 21 and 22. Okay. 21 and 22. 
James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Jason, could I have you read verse 21? And then Michael, could I re you read verse 22? One twenty-one. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So receive with meekness. That word there is, is practice, the word that we've, we've been using. Okay. And, and so it's saying receive with meekness, with gentleness, the implanted word, as in the word of God, which should take root in your life. Okay. So, so does that attitude, that gentleness, that meekness describe how you read God's word? When you listen to sermons, can you pray that God would help you to be humble so that the preaching of his word would, would change you? Could you pray that he would help you to take it seriously because you know he is serious? Um, when you do quiet times, uh, could you get on your knees, maybe even literally, right? Or, or, yeah, just come with this attitude of being on your knees saying, this is the authority in my life. I need to read it because I need to submit to it. Right? Just remember, it's way easier to shape clay if it's soft and wet. Okay? And that should be our attitude toward the word. All right, so that was a lot of application um, in a row. But, but just an encouragement to keep in mind for all these things is, it's really about preparing for the heat of the moment. It's preparing for the heat of the moment. Like if the first time you're thinking about gentleness is when your teammate pisses you off or when your group member does something to annoy you or someone cuts in front of you on the road or your parents ask you to do something that you don't want to do, right? That's not the time to first start thinking about this. And a lot of times that's how we think about gentleness, right? It's like in the moment you got to bite your tongue. In the moment, you got to restrain yourself. But the preparation has to begin now. The preparation has to begin now. The work you put in now will prepare you for that moment when it comes. Okay? And hopefully that gives you some hope. It'll pay off. It'll pay off. And now for our last point. Okay? And this will be really short and we'll, we'll close here. Gentleness saving. Gentleness saving. Let's go back to Matthew 12 one more time. Matthew 12, one more time. Uh, remember, we looked at verses 17 to 21, the prophecy, right, that, that, uh, that Matthew quotes about Jesus from Isaiah 42, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick it back up in, in verses 20 uh, and 21. So this is describing Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Did you catch that in verse 21? Speaking the gentleness of Jesus, prophesied about in the Old Testament and biographied in the New Testament, it achieved something. There was an end purpose in mind. In his name, the Gentiles will hope. The end goal was saving. There's this group, the Gentiles, people who aren't Jewish, people who had not been chosen to be part of God's people and part of the covenant. 
And because of Jesus' gentleness, they would come to hope in him and have access to salvation. The characteristic of Jesus here in Matthew 12 that drove Gentiles to salvation is what? His gentleness. That's why, Deacon, you can never forget that evangelism is about putting Jesus on display, showing a world that's more broken and, and in pain more obviously than ever here in 2020, showing them that there is a gentle Savior, one who won't bru- break a bruised reed, won't, one who won't quench a, a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And that victory began on the cross when he died in the place of sinners so that they might be saved. That's the gentleness. That's the Jesus we put on display. Because, Beacon, we, we can't forget that a day is going to come when Jesus won't be so gentle. He's coming again. And when he does, it'll be to judge the world. And he will break and he will quench, and he will condemn, and he will conquer his enemies once and for all. So, because we know that day is coming, because we know that Jesus' gentleness to his enemies has an expiration date, until that day, let's commit to telling people about Jesus' gentleness, ultimately displayed in his death on the cross, and let's commit to showing people Jesus' gentleness in every single way that we live. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for um, your word, uh, for how it spoke to us tonight. And I know we covered a lot, um, so I'm thankful for, for everyone here who, um, who bore with it, uh, a lot of material over a long period of time. But, but yeah, I'm just thankful for them. And, uh, and I pray, Father, that you would continue to use um, our discussions about your word as we go into small groups and, um, and that the Holy Spirit will work uh, to make us more gentle people. Father, to convict us of our sin, help us to, to turn from the ways in which we, we haven't been gentle and uh, to grow more like Christ, um, who ultimately is, is the way that we found our salvation um, as well. So thank you for your gentleness towards us through him, through the cross. I uh, pray that, Father, we would, uh, we would display that gentleness to a watching world. We love you and praise you and praise Christ's name.